0: This podcast is brought to you by Bonus Room Productions and We Own This Town.
1: I am Jason T. Mears, Esquire. And I'm Kelly Hoyle-Bullett. And we are Sandinus Today. How's it going, Kelly?
0: JT. I woke up today and I'm still living in a world with a Bill and Ted trilogy, so I'm pumped.
1: It's not been taken away. <laughs> and I really appreciate that. I, I was having a really bad day yesterday. I think you were as well. Yeah. Um, I was just angry at the world. Things were really frustrating. The kids were in bed. The wife was in bed. I was just hanging out, and I decided to watch Face the Music again, and it turned my day around. <laughs> turned my day around.
0: That's that's excellent, man. I'm I'm glad, and you know what turned uh, the week around for me was uh, our first interview of the season.
1: Oh, I was so excited. Yes, we got Laura Shapiro, which uh, you might not know, but she's been involved with Bill and Ted for the past 10 years. She literally wrote the book on Bill and Ted.
0: Yeah. It, uh, it was a fantastic interview. Um, some great stories. She's been working with Ed Solomon for such a long time. You have a copy of the book now. I don't have mine yet, but it looks beautiful. It's gorgeous. I think For anyone that's a Bill & Ted fan, they need to order this book right now.
1: I am not always a huge fan of these, but the care that was put into this, the packaging that was put into this, uh, I've gone through it two or three times. There's a lot of cool stuff about the first movies, about the merchandising. There's some really, really awesome anecdotes about filming face the music. I can't recommend uh, this enough. And you guys know that if there's a Bill & Ted product that I'm not a huge fan of, I'll be wishy-washy. Not this one. This is this is an automatic buy. And I'm just looking at you, Bill and Ted, the the board game. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, I did hear there's a new trivia game coming out, though. Uh, I might give that one a shot.
1: Might, but it's actually
0: trivia about the actual historical folks, right? Though not not about Bill and Ted. Oh no! So it's incorporating actual education. I know, right? Then I am definitely in. <laughs> 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 um, just a couple notes before we. Uh, Air the interview. Um, First off, want to say that this whole thing ends on a really touching note. So, uh, you know, please tune in. Um, We also want to make a brief apology to uh, actor Bridget Lundy Payne, as we used uh, a couple of incorrect pronouns. Uh, So, apologies to them. Without uh,
1: further ado, here is our most excellent interview with Laura Shapiro. Excellent. All right, we'd like to welcome to the show Laura Shapiro. Laura, thank you so much for being with us.
2: You are so welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here.
1: I, I think we just want to start with how did you become a film consultant in the first place? Like what was kind of your career trajectory that, that brought I you along? I a, have
2: a really, really weird trajectory. All right. That's what we like. <laughs> which, is, which is, you know, fun to talk about. I started in the music business. I was a concert producer, and very early in my career, I mean by the time I was nineteen, I was working on really, really huge um stadium or even larger size concerts, what they call spectacle level co- uh, events, which is like the um, Super Bowl half Wow, the Olympics opening ceremonies those are cons- those are in the category of spectacle events, and uh, a lot of people who work big tours. And um, also work logistics on on those events. And I got into that through actually Fleetwood Mac's road manager, who I knew at the time.
0: Oh, very cool. Back
2: when, back when Fleetwood Mac was the, the one of the biggest bands in the world. So he had that level of expertise. And one of the things that I started doing when I was doing that, because I was always involved with photography. My dad had a dark room in the house and gave me my first camera when I was eight. So I started doing... Um, video work with, to show on the stage, either between acts or um, behind bands at a time when that was really new and uh, got really interested in filmmaking. I was always interested in writing and I made a transition into the into film and television and did a number of different things. I always had more of a gig mentality than, a, than a, an employee mentality. So I went from project to project and one of my projects, and I was working in the independent film world and putting together really low budget work and working on... Uh, studio and television a little bit, but more independent film. And one of my projects was a big conference that the Writers Guild Foundation, which is the 501c3 arm of the union, the Writers Guild, put on about screenwriting. And I did a book for the conference that was given away to everyone who attended. And it was a bunch of essays by writers about how they got started in the business.
1: And this was uh, the first time I got paid for it?
2: Yes, but this was an earlier incarnation that was smaller, that was just given out at conference. And one of the writers who participated and who was also on the board said to me, this is so great. Next time we're going to do this conference again next year um, and we'll have enough lead time. Let's. Uh, he also wrote novels. And so he had an agent that represented him to pub- to the New York publishing world and said let's do uh let's do this as a published book because we'll have the lead time to do that so we did and that's how that first book came out and through that book I met a huge number of A-list writers I mean it was it was crazy I people just the people on uh, who are involved with putting on the conference who were also a lot of the board members of of the Writers Guild Foundation would come up to me and give me say a piece of paper with like famous writer's home phone number scribbled on it Wow. and say, here I called my friends that we talked about. They they know you're going to call them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that Things is so like that. cool.
2: Yeah, it was very cool. And that's really, you see, the thing is, here. here's one of the secrets to Hollywood. Once you are someone who is known to have worked with A-list people and handled yourself appropriately, which means not fanning out and not sharing Information about them that shouldn't be shared, and in general, just being chill about it—that's a job qualification. Because a lot of people can't handle that. They think this is my only, this is my big chance. I'm going to pitch my project. No, you're not. You're there to do a job. You're not there to pitch your project, unless that's what you're there for. And if you don't play it in a relaxed way and a professional way. You don't get asked back because why would that be something that anyone who would hire you to do that kind of job would want an employee to do? And a lot of people don't get that. And I had already at that time worked with big rock stars, so I sort of knew the drill. I'm all I also was over being impressed by celebrity because I had worked with big rock stars. (laughs) (laughs) And so and that was why I was asked to work on the Writers Guild project. The person who brought me in knew that knew that I had that background and knew that I would handle myself appropriately and one of the people I met through doing the book and doing the con- the second conference was Ed Solomon who is as I'm sure you know mm-hmm. one of the two writers of the Bill and Ted movies Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson so
1: when about was this that that uh...
2: around around 1999 and uh, um Ed and I just became friends. We lived kind of near each other in Santa Monica, and he asked me to read a script of his and give him feedback. I had worked in development at um, Fox by that time. Okay. And I and I had worked on... Um, <laughs> Uh, other projects that, that were in at various other studios, again, sort of with this, you know, just kept on getting invited back into that room where you're the junior person. Cause I was really young. I was in my my twenties then. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, where, where you getting invited back into those rooms and it always was word of mouth. Every time I'd get a job like that, it would be word of uh, And I would, would be given more and more responsibility. And I was working directly for, The director or the writer or the producer or or, as opposed to for the studios or networks or whatever entity and so it became a consulting relationship because my relationship with them would expand because there's a lot of things that I can do and I myself am an, an aspiring filmmaker and writer and so it was great education for me I mean, Ed Solomon has working with Ed Solomon over the years has been an incredible experience. He's he's become it's been twenty years. He's become a dear dear friend. We know each other really well. Um, I've learned so much from him, not just about writing, but also about how to handle yourself with integrity within a business where that can be an issue.
0: Absolutely, he's he's had some. Pretty amazing uh, experiences, both good and bad, over the years, it yeah. seems like, with different projects.
2: Yeah. And, uh, but Ed always, he's the kind of person, more than me, by the way, the kind of person who really makes an effort to always get along with everyone. And, uh, and, and even in his bad experiences, I think he walks away and other people walk away say, uh, 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 still thinking well of him.
1: I, I, everything I've read about him, and I have not had, I would not say interactions we've exchanged a few emails and he has mm-hmm. been incredibly professional and incredibly nice and incredibly caring with his time so i could totally see that being the case um yeah. there was that hollywood reporter interview that came out recently i don't know if you had okay. a chance to yes, read that
2: yes the the big spread on him right uh, um, on friday yeah i actually uh, i saw it and it's uh, my response to him was i knew I, i'm so excited i knew everything in there <laughs> 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 That's fantastic. no, it's great. And it's very much that it's it's a very accurate depiction of who he is, that piece
0: Ed strikes me as the type of guy who, whether or not a project you know works out or it doesn't, he seems to to learn from the ones mm-hmm. that don't work out, you know and and he's it seems like the type of guy that can always take something away positive from anything
2: yes and he <clears throat> and and that is also in many ways a, a philosophy, a life philosophy of his. It's. I mean there there's a reason be excellent to each other came <laughs> from him and and from Chris Chris is Chris is a very excellent person in similar ways
1: I mean oh Chris we we, we love Chris we actually had the opportunity to have he was our very first interview on the show when we were first starting out oh, and,
2: that's
1: great. you know I, I cold emailed him and he called me back within 24 hours on my <laughs> cell phone I was like hey this is Chris Matheson I'm like no, stop. This is not really Chris <laughs> But it was just so cool. and just they're both, so they're
2: both like that. They're not so impressed with themselves that they turn their nose up at interacting with someone outside the Hollywood bubble. It's just not in their DNA.
1: Yeah, but it, it's uh, definitely been a benefit for us and, and our listeners, too. You were a consultant on Face the Music for 10 years.
2: Basically, since around 1999, I have read and... Um, and and helped with almost everything Ed has worked on. So the in, initial meetings for Face the Music, uh, ha- the very first t- first meeting they had was in two thousand seven at a barbecue at uh, Alex Winter's house. It was Alex and Keanu and Chris and Ed. And I don't think they had they didn't really. I don't think I saw a draft till two thousand eleven maybe, something like that. But I knew that they were working on it and talking about it before that.
0: That's so cool. I I would love to be a fly on the wall of that first meeting.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we talk about it a little bit in the book. Right. it, Mm -hmm. It was as much not they hadn't all four of them seen each other in quite a while at that time. So I think there was also a lot of just hanging out and and enjoying each other's company too. We've talked about well you brought
1: up the book so let's actually yes. talk about the book. This thing is amazing. I'm a lifelong nerd and a completionist and a, a collectorist of all of my <laughs> all of my favorite stuff and uh, this is by far the nicest film book i have ever owned i mean you you can just oh wow
2: thank you so much that's so gratifying
1: it looks incredible it's got a nice heft to it and you mm-hmm. open it up and, and you just see the binding it's that wonderful picture of, of bill and ted from the first film like one of their uh publicity photos that everybody's seen but it just you can tell that so much care was put into this yeah. thing i I'm just blown away.
2: Wellbeck uh, Publishing does beautiful work. I can't take credit for the design. That that's that's all wellbeck. And they do beautiful, beautiful work. It's it's I'm I'm proud to be working with them. Seriously.
0: Now I was just gonna say I don't have a copy yet. Jason has a copy and he's sent me many, many photos <laughs> <laughs> so I could get at least a look at it. But uh, I did see Ed say as much online that uh, you know he's he, he even said that he's he's not usually one for you know movie books but he was just he had nothing but great words to say about the yeah. book and you so
2: yeah well i'm thrilled that i'd it. he's the reason i i got the got the job i mean if we you you had asked about my career you know i've worked on many many different things both my own projects as well as um projects for a lot of different filmmakers and writers and studios and that kind of thing and um in this case with this project i think it was in december so it was very recent really the book came together pretty fast in terms of book publishing timelines in december the publisher called ed saying we're going to do this book and ed said to them i usually don't like books like this um, i'm not <laughs> sure i want to participate or I'm, i want to know more before i participate i think is a more accurate way of saying it and ed said who's writing it and they said we don't have any anybody yet and ed said oh well can i recommend somebody
0: oh so cool nice
2: and that's how i got the gig and that worked for everyone involved because i was able to interview almost everyone because they just gave me everybody's email address and emailed everyone and said all the actors and uh, the behind the scenes people I uh, interviewed and said hey Laura's going to email you She's an insider on the project she's been working on it and and so other than with Keanu who I went went through his publicist in a more formal way because that's necessary with people at his level they have a little bit more of a buffer so, mm-hmm. um, I was just able to. If I had a question, I was able to say email Alex Winter and just say, "Hey, Alex, um, did I'm trying to figure out the timeline about when how things happened. Did this happen before this, before or after this? That kind of thing." And it was very because I was trying to tell the story of all three films in order in the book as a narrative.
1: I, I've got to say, uh, there are pictures in this book that I've never seen before. And uh, I think that was, su- it was surprising to me as a guy who spent like so many years looking through all this stuff. So that was great. It was a real Which treat. Which ones?
2: I'm curious. Uh, there
1: was uh, some on-set stuff with the booth hanging that I had not seen before. So mm-hmm. a lot of stuff from the first one and a few from the second one uh, that mm-hmm. I had not seen. Yeah. And just-
2: Well, you know, there's missing footage from yes, the first right. one.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah and
2: and we uh, pre-pandemic we had this scheme about looking for it because I bet that it's in a film vault somewhere in LA and I I wanted to kind of crowdsource uh, the pandemic killed all of this cuz all everybody's closed right? Mm-hmm. right I wanted to there's two pieces there's a, a music video that they shot at Venice Beach that um there's a still with Keanu that that clearly looks like venice beach
0: um mm-hmm. and
2: keanu i think keanu's like in midair on a skateboard that's from that music video shoot um and then the prom scene there's pictures from the prom. they shot a whole prom scene for excellent adventure and there's stills from it with that where they're in tuxes with short pants
1: mm-hmm. yep yeah, we, we we've seen those and and we were able to talk to diane franklin about that, that too um, Yeah. Yeah, so, but no one knows
2: that. where that footage is, and I had I had a whole scheme concocted where I was <laughs> going to find them, and then we could do kind of a, you know, like the opening of Al Capone's vault. <laughs> yeah, track. oh,
0: it would be awesome. Yes. I, I know Diane had told us that she felt like had that scene made it in the movie, there. Uh, – Their prom outfits would have just started a whole new craze, a whole new style in, you know,
2: 91. It's it's probably true. It's (laughs) probably true. There's some 16 millimeter footage at the UCLA Film and Television Archive connected to Excellent Adventure. The film was shot on 35. So Mm. it's not the film. And it could easily be that music video because it makes sense back in the late 80s when they were making this that they would have shot with a smaller, lighter 16-millimeter camera shooting on Venice Beach. But UCLA is... I can can't—I—I I had an email exchange with them and there's no way to go in and look at it right now.
0: I, I know Alex has... has- I've seen him tweet, you know, that he's essentially given up on finding it. But if you were some, somehow able to track that down, it would be incredible.
2: Well, I have I have um, a couple of friends who are involved with film archiving. There is a whole sort of sub community in the industry of film archivists, mm-hmm. um, and so I was gonna I was gonna try.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, if there's anything we can help uh, do to help post pandemic. Well,
2: Post pandemic maybe we'll 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 make a make a little project. That would be fun. I was gonna film it all, you know, handheld with an iPhone. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, that would be great. Going into the dusty vault.
0: I smell a YouTube documentary here. I think we can exactly. do this.
2: <laughs> exactly. It could, be, it could be a lot of fun. But one film or I, I have a friend who is has a very big company and one of the things that he does is, art, di, is digitally archive. Um, he's got contracts with several studios, all, all their old assets, And so he knows all the film vaults in town and, and everything. And he confirmed my suspicions, which is what he said: If it was video, it might be lost. But the fact that it's on 35 means that it probably is somewhere because people don't destroy 30, the 35 millimeter film. It would be very rare that it would be destroyed.
1: That is a ray of sunshine, then, in yeah. my world. <laughs> I,
2: yeah,
1: yeah. The idea that this stuff possibly still exists is just so exciting to me.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully, in a year or two, once we're past the past uh, our isolation, we can we can uh, revive this. And go out and find it. Oh
1: man, that'd be great. So let me ask you uh, a few more face the music questions. um Have you have you seen the finished product?
2: I have, and I also saw several rough cuts in the editing.
1: Wow, that's yeah, uh,
2: wonderful. I love it, and I think they did a great job. I love. Uh, I I was a big fan of Dean parisos before ever meeting him because I love 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 Galaxy Quest. Yes, oh yeah, same yeah. here, same I'm, here. I'm yeah. I, I'm a big Star Trek nerd. And uh, and Galaxy Quest is just so great. And then it turns out that Dean is uh, every bit as excellent a person as Ed and Chris. And fits in very well with that sensibility. He's just a wonderful person. And so when I met Dean and and, um, started going to some of the, you know, viewing the cut, giving feedback, that kind of thing, um, it, it was really nice. Because he's such a great guy. And he did such a great job.
0: Yeah, we couldn't have been more excited when it was announced that he was director. It was perfect.
2: Yeah. Yeah, he, he was in our top five easily,
1: and it just it made so much sense on every single level, and it just mm-hmm. it clearly
0: worked out. Since you've seen this kind of from the groundwork up, and you've seen the finished mm-hmm. product, are you able to talk about some of the differences from maybe the first versions of the screenplay you saw, and then and then what the final <gasps> version I came think- out to be?
2: There were there were there were things that were more extended in first versions of the screenplay. There were they had more uh, with the with the princesses. They they had so many budgetary limitations. They couldn't afford to shoot Mm -hmm. a third. You know, there's this story of Bill and Ted traveling around Mm -hmm. the time in face the music of Billy and Thea traveling around in time to collect the musicians right mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and right. then there's the wives as well and and so that kind of just fell by the wayside there were some bigger set pieces that would have required bigger effects but honestly i'm blanking on what they were because it was so long ago that i read them right. but i know that th- i know that they were bigger in certain ways um they want the big thing that i'm disappointed in but it it also was a potentially a, a pro could have been a problem if it wasn't received right was that they were going to work in George, the scene with George Carlin where there's the scene where Bill and Ted talk to themselves at the circle. K. Right. 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 right? in Mm -hmm. the first movie and there's other footage of george i guess that maybe wasn't used different angles or something Mm -hmm. and they were going to work it in so that bill and ted didn't face the music went there and had an interaction with george i know there were legal issues at some point which there shouldn't be because the studio the same they own bill and ted Mm -hmm. the original uh, excellent adventure so I think that could have been worked out, but then the, what it would take to do whatever CGI they would need to do to sort of incorporate Carlin in, and would it be good enough or would it be sort of uncanny Valley?
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: right? And the hologram so, thing
1: worked out really well. I think they yeah. ended up threading the needle very well there.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I just left so Yeah, much. yeah. And yeah. I got to talk to his daughter, Kelly, who the character awesome. of the film is named after when I did the book, and she's wonderful and is a great steward of her father's work. Oh, she
1: yeah, had- I follow her on Twitter, and she yeah. she uh, brooks no nonsense with people uh, <laughs> misabusing her father's name.
2: Yes, right? well, like- she, she also handles the business side of of his of his work she you know in his estate and we were talking about uh, licensing and and the and of all the different television specials he did and that kind of thing so she she actually is she is in charge of that it was
0: such a nice tribute uh with Kristen shaw's character uh you know being named kelly obviously Uh, Would have loved to have seen them work that circle case scene in because I actually remember reading uh, interviews with Madison and Solomon uh, early on. They were kind of indicating that they were going to revisit that scene, but, uh, but regardless how they did, it was great. Yeah. And,
2: but it would have been wonderfully meta, wouldn't it though? To Mm -hmm. have them go back to that scene. Oh yeah, sure. uh, (laughs) uh, There's a lot that would have been great about that. Yeah. And, And there was more with death too, that, there were different versions where death death was in more scenes and did more and Mm -hmm. there were things were sort of moved around, but I part that was because of scheduling, I guess and part budget budgetary. And I actually think what they ended up with was great.
0: Yeah, it it really was.
2: It worked worked really well and gave Bill Sadler a real platform in a way.
0: And a a pretty good editor uh, on this film. I do believe <laughs> Don Zimmerman,
2: yes. No, they had so. amazing people working on this film. The effects people, Bill Corso, Oscar winner for Benjamin yep. Button, yeah. who yep. also did um, the uh, the, uh, the prosthetic makeup effects in um, *Bogus Journey* and *Freaked*. He, uh, Alex, became good friends, and he did it. He did the one *Freaked* as well, and Kevin Yeager, who's kind of a legend, and uh, who designed the design station.
1: You can <laughs> just tell watching the movie, everyone involved in it was 100 percent in nobody was phoning it in everybody yeah. was giving it their all yeah. and it really shines through in the final product and in things that you don't you don't see that everywhere right like the the most recent star wars films they're fine mm-hmm. but you don't get that sense from them that everybody on set is giving everything to to make the highest quality thing that they can you know there and are
2: limitations to having a huge budget it's counterintuitive in a way, but the Star Wars movies have all the money they need to do whatever they need to do. This film had not enough money you know, to do what they ended up doing, but they managed to do it.
0: Right. That, that tension can really breed some amazing stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you also have to want it really badly.
1: Right. And this is, I think Kelly and I can both agree. The reason we were not worried about this movie, not being good uh, ever since it was announced, it's because they had Chris, they had Ed, they had Alex, they had Keanu, and I can't see any one of those four coming back to this project if it wasn't going to be really good, you know, if yeah. they didn't have complete faith that they were going to make something worth making.
2: That's exactly right. And and it's just so gratifying that it did and that it's being really well received and there's a life for this. And uh, and I think all the new people they brought in are great, all the younger, the, the next generation, Right. Right. I could absolutely see Samara weaving and Bridget Lundy Payne doing but more with the, more with those characters. Uh,
0: Bridget Lundy Payne, especially, uh, just mm-hmm. really you could tell how, how well she studied uh, Keanu and, and Ted in the earlier <laughs> movies to really mimic him. It was great.:
2: yeah. yeah, yeah. that's actually the first thing I said to her when we got on the phone. <laughs> it's so there, so present right in her performance in a great way and anthony carrigan
1: wow that guy just dennis caleb mccoy (laughs) he nailed it (laughs) i have trouble thinking of an actor with like less screen time obviously he was an important character but he was not on screen much but he made such a memorable impression with his very short scenes it just
2: he's brilliant well i i already was a huge fan of his from barry
1: Yes, no ho Hank, no
2: ho Hank. Yep, No-ho Hank is so lovable. I know. <laughs> he's a he's a, a, he's a murdering, Chechen gangster, but he's sweet. <laughs> It's yeah, so sweet.
0: L- A little bit of parallel with 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 Dennis, you know, a, yeah, a murderer right? who's who's becomes very lovable. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who just wants to be friends. Yeah, listen,
0: <laughs> if they stole, if they sold uh,
1: stuffed animals of either of those characters, I would definitely yeah. buy them for my kids or myself. Well, <laughs>
2: the, Bill and Ted, uh, you know, you, uh, you probably know because you're a collector, and there are, there's a section in the book. But Bill and Ted have a history of le- leaving no merchandising stone unturned.
1: That's true. I mean, you got the the cereal, uh, yeah. from Purino, right? Yeah. Um, the the one the one thing that I had not seen uh, in there was there was Ted in like a, a a sports car. I I had never seen that.
2: I mean, this was just the studio gave a at the studio and the the same company has had the merchandising rights for all the whole time, and so we got images from those sources.
1: That's really cool.
2: Yeah. That's where that came from. So, yeah, there were things that that I didn't know, but I think there were things that Ed and Chris hadn't seen, too, in some of those pictures. And uh, there's some there's some great images of, you know, the fan sort of fan, something that looks very sort of zine, you know, Mm -hmm. pre-internet zine (laughs) fan. Right. We
0: remember those days. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yes, we do. Yep. Yes, we do. Yep,
2: Me too. Me too. <laughs> and so, so there's yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of history there, and, and part of what happened with Bill and Ted is that even though the movie was it was a was a success, but not a huge hit. But the Saturday morning cartoon was ran for quite a while, and so it's a whole generation of kids who who were a little younger than the first audience, the audience for the film, that got very attached to Bill and Ted
0: it's
1: exactly. absolutely true and i think the other interesting thing that worked in bill and ted's favor and gave it legs um i know that when i was in high school if we had a substitute teacher sometimes they would show bill and ted's excellent adventure and <laughs> that would
2: <laughs> I not that, that's
1: yeah cool. like uh, they they would they would I wheel the movie in well. with with a vhs and you know you'd watch part one on on wednesday and part two on on, uh, Thursday.
0: Um,
2: That was instead of history classes? Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Just a, just a a time killer. You know, that's, that's the education system here in Tennessee and Jason and I were in middle school together and I can definitely remember.
2: I, I, I think Ed has not, does not know this and he's going to love it. I'm going to have to tell him this.
1: Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, just, just, uh, just delightful. And I've, I've shown my daughter, um, Mm-hmm. All three of the movies now. She's seven, and she she loves them. Um, she wants to go as Thea for Halloween, which is great. I mean, oh, it's it, it just
2: exciting.
1: Yeah, but, and I don't know. Kelly and I have, have talked about this ad nauseum at this point, but just her love and the fact that the third film had the daughters and and somebody for her to latch onto has just been delightful. Yeah. And
2: well, both Ed and Chris are fathers, and very and Dean, but particularly Ed and Chris and 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 Alex, uh, you know, they they all are their fathers and their fathers who are very, very involved in their children, in caring for their children. They're not off on a film set all the time, which happens a lot with people in this industry. They make make a really concerted effort to be there. And uh, having children was so important to them in their lives, they wanted to reflect that in the story.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, we're talking about this. I mean, Kelly and I have also had conversations but the care and the crafting of the father-daughter relationship in this Mm -hmm. film is actually kind of breathtaking to me they are fathers who aren't possessive of their daughters at all The, the fathers aren't obstacles to their daughters desires or identities and it's so refreshing to see
2: yeah well and i know that i don't know chris as well as i know ed i know ed has I know Ed is very much like that in his life. His kids are now, his daughter's in college and his son's just out of college. So, you know, pretty much out of the house. But he's deeply involved with his children.
0: I think that's really what gives the movie its legs and that's what's going to make Mm -hmm. it last. I think if you had just had a third movie completely center on Bill and Ted, uh, Mm -hmm. I, I don't know... I don't know that it would have been as good. I really don't think it would well, have.
2: Yeah, well, and, and you know, Bill and Ted having a midlife, cri- having a midlife crisis because they haven't written the song that saves the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, right. it becomes kind of dark. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and I do remember one of the things that I said in the early drafts to them is more of the daughter. And there was a point in time where the where they did not go back in time and find the musicians and put together the band in, in earlier versions of the scripts. That yeah. came sort of in the middle. And and so, you know, there I remember very early on saying, more daughters, more daughters, more daughters. <laughs> Good advice.
0: Good advice. Let <laughs> <Yeah. Yeah.
2: laughs> let me
1: ask you this. Do you do you think the fact that it took ten, thirteen years to get this movie made, do you think that had kind of a um, positive effect on the quality of everything because
2: yes, yes I, absolutely. In terms of the writing, yes, it, I think what happened that um, I have seen because I, I I'm so close to Ed's work, I know how much his how much his writing has deepened as he's gotten more. You know, it doesn't stop. Development as an artist doesn't stop. Right. We have this culture that's youth obsessed, and particularly in Hollywood, where there's so much ageism, that writers after a certain age, it's hard for them to keep on working. Which was one of the things about that was. One of the subjects of that Hollywood Reporter article about Ed, that at his age, to be where he is in his career is actually unusual. And it's, it's actually terrible that that's the case. Because artists get better as they age, they, if they keep on doing it, and if they keep on looking at their own work with honesty. And, and Ed is certainly one of those people. And I think Ed is a better writer now than he was um, in 2007, and I know he'd agree just yeah. based on that. And so, yes, absolutely, that's the case. I think also there's a difference in terms of the age of their children. And the cho- their children are now close to the age of Billy and Thea. And hmm. 13 years ago, they were not. Makes so sense. So having yeah. direct experience of parenting, particularly a daughter, through her teenage years, which is... As a woman, I can say very honestly, uh, an incredibly challenging thing to do.
0: <laughs> I know uh, Al- Alex, making the press rounds, has talked a lot about how as more times gone on, it's actually made this idea of the third movie that much funnier, the older that Bill and Ted yeah. actually are. so
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think that's true as well. I think that's true as well. And Alex, it's so nice to see Alex acting again, too. I mean, oh, for sure. He's a wonderful yeah. filmmaker behind the camera but his performance is so good in this. It, I want to see more I want to see more more of him on screen.
0: It is. I I really felt that. I felt that he I don't know if carrying the load is the word I would use but the the way he he brought bill back to life uh just seemed like he did it with so much more ease than than maybe even keanu and i don't know you know that that could be for a million different reasons uh you know i did like how the movie sort of portrayed ted as a little bit more downtrodden um a little bit more depressed but then you also have to wonder with keanu playing such serious roles in the last 10 years (laughs) that getting into that headspace of uh of Ted maybe was a little bit harder for him. I don't know.
2: I don't know. I didn't talk to him about it, about it um, when I interviewed him, but I felt like I, I agree with you about that. His, his performance is more serious, more dour and darker than. Uh, I mean, Ted in the first in the first two movies is just you know this ebullient joy, mm-hmm. and and you want to see Keanu. You know, there's that grin that he breaks into. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like you want to see that again. And uh, there's a term that Stephen Herrick, the director of the first film, used about them. He called it the puppy the puppy factor.
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs> and and he would be you know watching a take, and he'd say no, the puppy factor is not up there enough, and that would be like the direction, He's like more puppy factor. If you think about it, that's right, right? They're these sort of eager, kind of floppy mm-hmm. you know, physicality to to the way they played it, and the the, the sort of just innocent good-naturedness and they they've lost innocence and i think that in some ways you know Keanu was making an acting choice to someone who had that innocence who's lost it
0: yes and and i think it definitely pays off in in in, in places right especially that scene where he he he's visiting his oldest self in that conversation they mm-hmm. have uh, i think mm-hmm. that works so much better because you have maybe a little bit more downtrodden ted up to that yeah. point
1: yeah, the whole, the whole subplot between Ted and his self is just genius because <laughs> yeah. it is emotionally affecting, but it's also <laughs> deeply, deeply silly. Right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it absolutely is. And everyone involved really that loves the silliness of it. I think that's part of the, what they love. It's absurdist. <laughs> yes, it it's absolutely absurdist. is. Even more finer tuned than silly. It's absurdist. And, and it's it's. It's a lot
0: of fun. <laughs> and you say puppy dog factor, uh, and that's probably exactly what I meant to say with uh, with Bridget's performance. Billy mm-hmm. Billy brings yeah. the puppy dog factor, and that was great.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: This has been a fantastic interview. I, we really both appreciate you giving us the time here.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. And, and you know, it's uh, one of the things, as I was writing this, I started writing in January. So by... March we're in the pandemic and I'm working away on it and interviewing people and it's just feels like the world is falling apart. And it was so grounding and important to be working on this during that time. And one of the things that came up and there's quotes from people in the book about this, you know, when when this was started, nobody thought this film was gonna be making a profound statement about the state of the world. But Now, be excellent to each other has turned into an incredibly important political idea. And that's really important to the world right now. And it's a reason why I thought that the film would do really well. And I think it is doing well in large part because of that. People want to feel that way. Mm -hmm. And it's a reminder that we need to pay attention to that.
0: I could not have said that better myself. I know, you know, speaking for Jason, we completely agree with that sentiment. You know, I know it's what's been helping both of us get through this time. That's for sure.
2: Yeah. Well, and, and the the funny little coda to that is when I was talking to Keanu and doing the official formal interview I did for the book, I asked him about that and I said, said something similar to what I just said. And he laughed and he, he said... And party on, dude. <laughs> and we both kind of cracked up. It was good moments, right? And he's right. You ha- be excellent to each other is half of the idea. Party on, have that lighten- lightness in your soul. Is the, uh, and it's just as important to remember that.
0: My heart is is just goo right now, Jason. It's goo
1: doing this podcast with you is a joy already, man. I mean, like it's it's the highlight of whatever week that we're recording in. But man, that was that was delightful. So nice. Cannot thank, Laura, enough for sharing time and insight and uh, just being so open and honest
0: about everything. It, she was so sweet and thoughtful to talk to us and couldn't agree more with her sentiments at the end of the interview Yeah, for sure.
1: All right, man. Well, uh, let's thank Michael
0: Eads and We Own This Town for producing this podcast. And of course, Scott Bricklin, our main man on the guitar uh, and Scooby Tunes music for our excellent theme song, Walk Away. And uh, as always, Kelly, be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes. going to make yeah, some tacos.
1: Oh nice. We're I'm... we're having salmon patties. Salmon oh, patties. All
0: right. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> patty. So, you know the word patty. patty is just funny funny word to me.
1: It is. <laughs> it is <laughs> patty. Patty. There's a, there's
0: like whole patty and then there's <laughs> salmon <laughs> patty. <laughs> and a burger patty. <laughs> yeah. All right
2: patty patty from
0: Charlie Brown
1: yeah peppermint peppermint patty Patty, Patty. that's the patty yeah
0: Yeah. all right uh, (laughs) I'm gonna shut the hell up now